Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Josh Brown, me and you cannot agree on the status <laughs> of Bullet for My Valentine's The Poison album, but other than me saying it's one of the greatest albums of all time, and I want people to message us on social media to agree with me. Listen. How are you doing? This, I'm doing all right, thank Good. you very much. This implies, though, that I have any opinion about it, and actually the issue is I've just never heard it. There is a six-year age gap between you and I, Scott, yes. and apparently so much culture has happened in that <laughs> six-year age gap. The sort of metal, metal core stuff yeah. that you absolutely adore. I just the world does. I grew up with like the softer side of the rock scene with your Green Days. Me too, and dude. And your Blink-182s and your... My chem was about as hard as I ever got, right? <laughs> and then I was a big... I was a pop-punk kid. I was right. a snot-nosed pop-punk kid. And anything harder, I thought it was a little lame. Mm-hmm. So even... Bands that I actually like in theory, you know, Linkin Park, love every song of theirs I've heard. <laughs> Not listened to an album, though. You're like, like a really good lawyer there, where you're like, every, I love every song that I've heard, hasn't finished the Hyper Theory album. It's just, it's every song he's heard, though, it's been lovely. It's, um, yeah, me and you, whenever we talk about old albums, like you said, there's a six year gap, and I feel like a lot of stuff happened in there. My way of crystallizing the gap is whether your favorite Tony Hawk's game is Tony Hawk's two or three, or whether someone's favorite Halo is two or three. Because it's like it, it tends to be like for Tony Hawks, that yeah. gap is very specific. Yeah. Where two was the big deal for my quote unquote generation, whereas a few years behind it was Tony Hawks. Well, three. that's it's funny you should say that because I think the gap's actually bigger than mm. what we suspect then. Because my Tony Hawks game isn't two or three or even four. It's underground. Tony yeah, Hawks Underground yeah. is the one. Um, the I mean, Jack I love the other ones, but and I, I played obviously the other ones. But it was when um, that series started chasing Grand Theft Auto and to let you get off your skateboard. That was the mechanic that got <laughs> me in. It's um, oh, the evolution of Tony Hawk is a whole other thing that we'll dive into <laughs> at some point. Um, but this is the wind up. I'm Scott Tilford. That's Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. Did you have a nice weekend? I had a lovely little weekend. I've got some stories to tell you. The wind up is also the conversation podcast thing where we talk about whatever's going on in. In the gaming industry. However, you've got some stuff going on. No, well, not really. No, I just I like to start these podcasts off a little more informally. It is the yeah. wind up in every permutation of what that means. And I like it just reflecting on the weekend, looking forward to the week to come, as yeah. well as winding each other up literally about Bullet for My val- Valentine. We're never going to um, put out, we might somehow, at the end of the year, some sort of um, April Fool's type thing. Maybe we upload our conversation on Bullet as a news video yeah, on April yeah. Fool's. Um, because me and Josh just went hard for about 10 minutes on the state of, uh, which albums Josh Brown should know. We started recording um, both video and audio. <laughs> and then we stopped because we talked too much about Bullet that yep. wasn't going to be in the episode. Yep. 
Yep. And then we restarted the, the recording. Then we sat down and we just did it again. We just talked about Bullet for My Valentine again. <laughs> so he, there are two 10-minute had... videos about this thing now. Yeah. Maybe we just stitch them together and just call it two men losing their mind in a <laughs> padded room because this room is full of foam. I think it's interesting, though. Oh. Um, and we're not to go on about this too much, but we were also talking about, like, emo and what emo is to yep. us. And, you know, is it the Bullet for My Valentine style? My chem. Um, my chem style of the... 2000s or do you go further back to the cure or are you somewhere in the middle with American football kind of mm. like how I am it's interesting a lot of a lot of terms that we kind of become familiar with have lots of different meanings like the wind up itself <laughs> anyway I want to get to the point all I wanted to do was shout out your friend of mine Ash Millman because uh. she announced over the weekend that she's leaving PlayStation Access and she's going solo and I wish her all the best and you should go follow her for lovely horror stuff. Yep, I yep. am forever proud of her. She's incredible. She's the best at this and well done, Ash. Uh, she uh, doesn't match up to the wind-up. She, <laughs> could she go 10 minutes on board? Actually, Ash, you get in touch with one of us and let us know where you come down on this. Is The Poison one of the best albums of all time? Should Josh Brown listen to this album or have you also not listened to it? In which case, I lose all respect. I'm pretty confident Ash is in the bullet. Um, uh, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm going to send her this podcast now <laughs> when, it's, when it's live. And uh, if, if she's not in the bullet, then I will rescind my friendship card entirely and never yeah. speak to her again. A few other things, Scott. No, 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 super quick though. No, genuinely, genuinely, genuinely wishing Ash the best. Oh, yeah. Like, She's over on Twitter announcing some things, trying to keep up with her over there. But um, girl, don't miss. Nah, She's going to go on to beautiful things. Does not, apart from sometimes she doesn't like the bands that I send her. <laughs> Listen to Hot Mulligan, Ash. Um, anyway. <laughs> the, I can back that as well. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah right. Um, I'm rambling. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I just was looking at the weekend, Scott. Yes. Was, I played a lot of Pacific Drive, which we're going to get to. But um, if you can't tell, a little nervy this week. I've got a lot of, lot of stuff on because mm -hmm. I'm starting therapy this week for the first time. Bit scared about that. That's mm -hmm. on Wednesday. And, and you might like this, I'm getting my first ever, getting on my first ever aeroplane this oh. Sunday. I'm going to Dublin, Ireland. Get I've never gone on a plane before because I've always been too anxious about it. And now I'm finally doing it. Yeah, and I'm man. scared and I'm worried and I keep having nightmares about it, but I know it's going to be fine. It is going to be fine. It feels like a milestone, though, yep. doing both of those things in a week. I'm so and proud of you, dude. I, I always find these things out when we're actually recording. Which I like is, to save them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to uh, bust them out. No, man, I, as you well know, I love you. I'm Thank so you. proud of you for doing this stuff. And things like getting stuck into therapy, man. Um, yeah, just dive in, just head first. You can't go wrong with these things. I think stuff like um, getting on a plane, I still remember the first time I went on a plane. Like, yeah. it's still going to be a weird thing and the <laughs> the moment the plane starts to bank and take off you'll be like what am i even doing with yeah. that why am i even why are we leaving the ground um but no it'll be a very beautiful thing you'll get lots of little free snacks on the way there dublin's not a very so. long flight it's only an hour i think bag of peanuts my girlfriend was telling me i'll spend most of the journey either going up or going down in yeah. about five minutes going straight that, which is yeah um, interesting, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think at least, at the very least, I'm going to have something to talk about in therapy. <laughs> I'm going to be like, hey, I'm going to play it, nah, and I'm scared about it. Get stuck in, like steer into, my golden rule in life, it mostly applies to presenting work or recording things, is uh, always steer into the thing that is like bothering you or whatever it is. And nine yeah. times out of ten, I mean that because I'm stumbling over a word or I'm stumbling over a point, or I'm trying to present something and I can't quite uh, find the right words to come across the way I want to. I'll just steer into it and address the fact that I'm worried about what I'm saying. And yeah. then you find a strength in that. Um, and I can only apply that uh, as I have in my own life to every little aspect of life. Just steer into the thing that's bothering you, ground it, and uh, and bring and, and 
like make it real kind of thing in a way yeah. that you can uh, conquer it because your mind will make it so much worse than it actually is. And uh, this time next week, you'll have done both things yeah. and you'll have a lovely time. That's it, I think. I think the thing with anxiety that maybe people listening to this mm. like know is that you can't logic your way out of it. Like, I've wanted to get on a plane for years and I know the stats about how safe they are. I know how irrational the thought in and of itself may be. Mm-hmm. It's it's believing that it's like it's it's such a strange feeling to know something intellectually but be unable to believe mm. it. It's a weird little that's what um, you have to do it. Break right, mm-hmm. which is what I'm trying to overcome with mm-hmm. uh, a bit of me- bit of therapy, a bit of medication and whatnot. And I feel like I'm I'm, I'm getting there. Progress Dude. is being made, and I think it's funny that while over the weekend I was you know stressed about going on this journey, what might happen. So I played 12 hours of a game about <laughs> driving a vehicle <laughs> in tumultuous conditions. You should have gone on flight sim. You could have you could have charted it on flight simulator. It would have been in real time that, as well. Actually, yeah. yeah, I do love flight sim, but yeah. as you know, I don't like leaving the UK on flight sim. No, but you're going to do it in real life. Yeah, it's true. I yeah. think, like I said, steering into it, making it real. That whole thing of um, that clash between like your amygdala and uh, the rest of your brain, trying to rationalize those things and the the spiraling thoughts that come from that. I know them very well. Um, not specifically in regards to being diagnosed with anxiety, but I do have close uh, relatives who have the same stuff. Um, and navigating that, it's always the str- like when someone actually does go when they take the step they go with the thing that was worrying them beforehand and seeing them process that and then come out the other side of it as someone who has seen that happen um like i said very very close relatives it's the best feeling i'm just so happy for people taking the steps towards the things that make them feel better because you are worth that end state you need to get there like you're worth it I know as well, like, it was. it's the same with a few things. This just isn't the case for everything that I'm anxious about, but mm. I know with stuff like a plane or travel, when I do it once, it'll be fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it, it's crazy. I went to Amsterdam last year, and I got the ferry, which is arguably more traumatic. I was thrown <laughs> up for, like, 36 hours afterwards. It took 16 hours to get there. It was pitch black. You're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You feel very vulnerable. But because I did that when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I was suddenly, like, yeah, this is fine. I didn't even bat an eyelid at it, right? So I'm hoping I get that when I finally do my first flight. Mm. Oh, I completed that now. I know <laughs> what it's like. I can understand Got it. the trophy. Yeah, let's uh, hope I'm not jinxing myself by no, putting all you're of not. this on, uh, on, on the record. You'll be fine. My thing with um, with flight, and it, it's weirdly, like because I think about different fears over the years that are like, e- like everyday things that maybe I find a bit anxious over the years or a bit worried about or whatever that most people, quote unquote, wouldn't. Uh, have the same thoughts on. Yeah. It's something like dogs. I grew up being terrified of dogs right. for the longest time, mainly because when I was a child, I was very, very young, like four or five years old. Um, and this little Rottweiler, I was playing out on my bike, lovely little me, just imagine me with the same face, same beard, but I was tiny. And I was on a bike and uh, a Rottweiler dog uh, came out of the neighbor's yard and jumped and latched onto my bike. Oh my God. And I screamed, I couldn't get it off. Oh and it was so God. ravenous, it was so angry. Um, and I remember being terrified of them. And for years after that, I didn't want to touch a dog, whatever, it took me ages. And anytime, you know when people let their dogs off a leash and they'll come up to you because yeah. they're a dog. I would be terrified of that because it's going to grab me, it's going to bite me, it's going to do whatever. And it left teeth marks in my uh, bike's seat as well. And so for the longest time, I held on to that where I was just like, I'm not going to do anything with them. And then for the, I forget the first time I just went for it. But as I got a bit older, I was like, I'm just going to steer into what I'm supposed to be doing with a dog. And I, I harnessed that what I'm supposed to be doing energy. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to play with it, like ruffle its ears and like whatever. And like my auntie's got a couple of dogs and like um, friends have got them and stuff. And I just sort of went with it. And as I was doing it, the action of doing it, I was still freaking out. And yeah. I still was sweating and I was freaking out. But I did that enough that I managed to be like, oh, it's actually all right. And then you kind of latch on to the natural, how it's supposed to be energy. And that's what carries you through. But like, I remember having to like, 
like thought by thought unpack it in mm. real time of like mm-hmm. what's actually freaking me out um is it the thing from beforehand is the dog actually doing something that's freaking me out like and going through that um and i think some of it is a similar thing with flying like yep. you will feel uncomfortable you will feel stressed out you'll feel like you don't want to be on the plane at all yes um but actually willing yourself to do it and then you know getting the the holistic reflection on it afterwards maybe then you go actually it's not for me at all yeah it's but, true you know at least you've actually gone through it and you you kind of know the reality of what it's like to do the full thing at least i'll know i mean i got a I got, I got a book on fear of flying about seven years ago, never opened it. I was so going to say, it's not going to make it worse. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Here's exactly why you're terrified. Hey, playing flight sim will make it worse the way I fly those planes. <laughs> Just don't do Dangerous. it in VR. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bloody hell. I'll tell you what I want a super quick uh, shout out because I find it really, really helpful is um, Kevin Smith did a video recently on, he went through a bunch of therapy and did a video on the lessons that he learned from the therapy that he went through in regards to anxiety, depression. Um, he had a whole thing about... Um, like disconnecting from his old self, like performative self and like realizing who he really is, what he really wants, mm. etc. Corey Taylor of Slipknot fame is currently going through a very similar thing where he did an update saying like he's largely had a, a disconnect from who he used to be and like reckoning with who he is now kind of thing. And I think that's stuff is all fascinating, especially yeah. when you work in the media and you project a version of yourself and then who, what do you really want kind of thing? Am I living for the work, etc. Um, the Kevin Smith video I found to be really, really good at like, because I do like logicking through stuff. Like I do like brain chemistry and why am I thinking this and whatever else. So the, um, I would just recommend people whatever just checking out that video he just broke down the lessons he learned in expensive therapy and he did the video saying that most people should have access to these lessons because most people can't afford that level of therapy yeah Um, yeah. and the stuff he broke down in regards to the way your amygdala works and how your body is always terrified but you uh, counterbalance it most of the day um is you know can point to that imbalance and why people get um, scared of things that shouldn't make them scared Mm. your brain is your body is just protecting itself and it's like trying to restore that balance is like one of the things that comes from all that. Lots of interesting things there. It's mm. funny that you mentioned that idea of who you are now versus the perception of yourself from mm-hmm. years prior, because that's definitely something I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Not to turn this into my therapy <laughs> session, but you know, having is like, literally thousands of videos online at this point yeah, over well. the nearly seven years that I've worked here, and like I, I'm that guy who I look at from seven years ago. That's like. At someone else, right? But I have the, the same thing that, with my old self, yeah. But the fact that he lives and exists and is in people's memories and will be there until this website shuts down and they pull all those videos, that is something that, like, I was talking to you the other day. I got, I keep getting recommended this old video we did on Dragon Age and um, going <laughs> like live service. It's a news video from about four or five years ago. And it's probably fine. I haven't I haven't watched it, but just the fact that that's always kind of there mm-hmm. in like I hover over the preview and it's me and you looking very young and I just think that's a different person that. And it's right. strange that that's online and I'm always like getting the memory of it. It's it's not just like jo- the job and, um, you know, YouTube and stuff. I actually, a few years ago now, just decided to delete, can you remember Time Hop, the app? Yeah. It would essentially every day show you your social media posts from one year ago, two yes. years ago, three years ago, five, ten years ago. And I just thought, well, wh- why am I living in this? Why am I living in the past mm-hmm. so much? You know what I mean? Why do I want to be reminded of totally, the man. stuff that I said online a year ago, this photo I posted ten years ago? I'll, I'll, there's a time and a place for mm. that, and I respect it. 
people love getting in that mindset. For me, I'm like, no, I kind of got to focus on now in a way, mm-hmm. anyway. But you know my my new things rule thing, where yeah. I'm just like, yeah, nostalgia's fine, but it has to be in a box. Like, yeah. nostalgia will not satisfy you the way that a new experience will. You can't live for the past, you just can't. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I think that's, that's really just how I am. put. I've just spent 15 minutes trying to come up with that exact point, <laughs> and I'll take it. I mean, I'm thinking, of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm thinking of remakes and remasters, but near enough. No, it's absolutely spot on, man. Um, yeah, so this was essentially a long-winded, long-winded winded and sentimental way of saying, does anyone have any recommendations for Dublin? <laughs> I want to go do things. I've been there for like three days. In I've, there. I mean, I've been to Dublin. City. Go to the Guinness factory, mate. It's awesome. I'm going to. Yeah. Um, my partner, she was telling me that if you spend a little bit extra in the Guinness factory, you get your face printed in the form what? of the Guinness. I wasn't there when we were there. is the best crack I have ever heard of in my life. <laughs> and you bet your ass, Scott Tilford, <laughs> there will be a post on every social media platform I am on uh-huh. of my face smirking in the top of a Guinness. I, I'm going to sup it down. I was going to say drink your own face, but I also, I hope, like in the best way possible, I hope the print is like off. So it looks <laughs> kind of like skewed and it's like, you you know it's you, but it's like they've done their best. As long as everyone's done their best. I want it to look like, you know those old sports games like FIFA 10, FIFA 08, yeah, yeah. Uh, NBA, where you could uh, take a picture of your face and it would scan it on one yeah, of the yeah. custom characters. It was like, like oh, nightmarish. <laughs> it <was> nightmarish. <laughs> the Eldrick version you see, of yourself. I want it to be like that. I don't know if it was in the pandemic, there was that person trying to draw Jesus or try to draw like yeah. that. <laughs> It's <laughs> just, like just like a potato that's been stretched over uh, too I, much bread. I already, yeah, <laughs> I already look a little bit like a Who from Whoville, so I think if don't you exaggerate that a bit. You know what? I don't know if you've ever done this. But I would never get a caricature of myself. I've um, never done that. Done. No. They'll make I'd me too be, fat. I'd be pissed scared yeah. of it, man. They do me uh, like I'd have me big shotgun nostrils. So I'd be. Um, <laughs> Me, 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 chin, if that doesn't exist, I'll have. I don't know what else I would have, but it wouldn't just, be kind. Me bags under me eyes. No, I wouldn't trust them at all. I'll tell you what I wanted to throw in before we actually do get to the wind-up is a massive thank you to everybody who recommended us when the Game Awards asked for the best podcast going. Yeah, Lovely of people to recommend us. Genuinely a huge th- um, shout-out to everybody. Um, it's an honour to do this. It's an honour to be heard by any of you. It's uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, man, I, um, I didn't see that until this morning mm. when I... Wanted to re-download Twitter so I could check the news before coming hey, in. Hey, if you've managed to delete Twitter slash X, you keep that energy. It always comes back, but I do <laughs> like to get rid of it over the weekend. Um, but yeah, um, what the point was, yes. uh, lovely surprise to wake up to this morning. That just really, really grateful, really mm-hmm. thankful. Thanks for listening to, you know, bull crap like this for <laughs> the first 10 minutes of a podcast before we even get to the games. We've been indulgent this week, but you hey, know what? Um, That's what I needed. This is what I needed to wind up my week. Yeah, week. yeah, Life is life. I think if anyone else is going through similar things, hopefully we can be the voices in your head in a nice way to get you through those times as well. Blink-182. Uh, Bullet for my Valentine. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing over there? But um, we'll get to some little talking points, things that we've been playing, then we'll get to some news. But um, I want to tell you about a backbone. Yeah. The I mean, backbone. Come on, what is this? You, so I, you have you made reference, kind oh. of like you're foreshadowing a future storyline all week about <laughs> the backbone. So We're just dropping hints about it. I love Mr. Dan Durkin, one of our editors, one of the best editors on the planet. He's awesome. He, he bought is. a backbone, which a lot of people might know is a mobile gaming controller. It's like a, it's two halves of a controller that you stretch around a, a phone and you can turn any phone into a controller. Awesome. Sounds great. Love it. Dan Durkin's got one. Works, works a tree. I was like, cool, I'll get that. 
I got one and it wouldn't work. It just acted like the left D-pad was always being pushed down on my phone. So I was like, well, this seems like a bit of a problem. I saw you tweet about this, not to jump ahead in the well, story. Well, that's from later in the timeline. Okay, okay. Because this was, this was unit one. So I tried that. <laughs> that was last week. That was on Wednesday afternoon last week. In the afternoon, I tried it. I spent about two hours trying to Google this. You know when you have to Google a specific problem and you just never, never get the answers you want? Yeah. Maybe you get close and the remedy that's, oh, worked for me, says Rand. Didn't work for me. <laughs> on random thing. Tried that for like two hours. I was like, I'm taking this back. It won't work. I got a second unit. I tried it again in the car park of the Smiths that I got it from in the UK. That also didn't work. It did the left D-pad thing. So I was like, well, it must be something with my phone. Mm. But it doesn't make sense because every time I would connect it, it would work once. It would work perfectly fine until I would detach the phone and try again at some point later that night or whatever. Second time around, it would do the D-pad thing. Mm. So I was messaging Backbone themselves. They were saying, oh, we're really sorry. We don't know what it is. Um, did you get it from us? I was like, nah, I got it from Smiths. And then I also put a post on the Backbone Reddit. And I was like, well, maybe they'll help me. No reply from them for like a, for a day, really. I then was like, I'll put something on Twitter. What the hell's going on yeah. with this system? And then, um, because the, the second system that I had that I was trying in the car park, I took that back into Smith's because I was like, well, it's not working. And the guy was like, I can't give you another replacement. I'll give you a refund. So I was like, right. sweet. Let me take that money. And then I went to Argos and I got a third one. <laughs> so I got a third backbone. So that one also, D-pad problem, wouldn't work. So then I'm contacting Backbone, I'm posting on the Reddit. Then I put the thing on Twitter saying, has anyone else had this? Because whatever, no replies from anybody. Like people replied saying like, sorry, you've got this, but I have no answer for you. Yeah. And then my Reddit post got flagged as spam. Really? From, from Reddit admin. And I was like, what? I'm, what? Not, I'm not hearing back from Backbone. Backbone's Reddit thread has... has blacklisted me as far as I'm concerned. Um, the, I can't believe this cover-up. I know. The tech itself won't work. And then I st then I've, I've found, uh, across the last week, I found loads of threads of people saying, oh, well, I'm on my third one. I'm on my fourth one. I'm on my fifth one. Mm. Um, it always breaks. Oh, this button just, it acts like this button's being repeated. And I was like, the tech, the actual hardware manufacturing of this is nowhere near up to snuff. Yeah. And so I got a refund again. And then I, <laughs> and I looked up, what is the best handheld mobile gaming controller? And it's not the backbone. It's up there. But the best one, I think it was according to Games Radar was the GameSir, the GameSir G8. Right. So I have a GameSir G8, which is 20 pounds cheaper than a Backbone. So I saved money, if so anything. That's what you've got now. That's that what works. I've got now, and that works beautifully. That thing works exactly like it's supposed to, and it's like, and it, it's a it's a better controller as well. It's a bigger, thicker thing. It's more like the DualSense, so it's a really comfortable controller. It yeah. has, um, I forget what they call them, satellite analog sticks or something. It's some type of analog sticks that are nice and smooth and, okay. and floaty. You can replace the analog sticks. The fascia comes off. It's magnetic if you want to swap it around. It's a nice, cozy controller. I'm so much better with the game, sir, and I'm not sponsored by them. But what an ordeal I had. So what you're saying is Dan Durkin is a lovely man, an even better editor, but yeah. he's an absolute fibber. When yeah, it never comes recommend to anything. To me ever again. He also recommended me some crisps at the weekend yeah. that weren't as big or as thick as he promised. <laughs> Thanks, he comes, Dan. He's coming at me with brotato as well. I, I, get, get it away from me, Dan. I don't want it. But you finally got a happy ending yes. to that. And yes. is it, as it, have you brought it in today? Will we get to No, because funnily enough, That's if you hilarious. live in the northeast of England, you'll know that the metro services are horrific right now. They uh, they're currently in the middle of suing their parent company because they're right? so bad. Yeah. What? Um, and the metro train, that's what I should say. The other metro services are train service um, is off from the, the where I would get it from. So I've got to drive in like an idiot. You know what's hilarious, man? Like I know the the underground in, in London, the yes. London underground, the if London you will, ground, you might say. Isn't, isn't perfect, but no. you go to London, right? And if something is delayed like three minutes, it's a big song and dance. Yeah. Like the entire infrastructure comes to a halt. You go to Newcastle, you go <laughs> on the metros, doesn't even tell you it's delayed. You're there 45 minutes. It's, it's an absolute joke. And we I haven't that's you talk about screaming at a wall like the backbone thing. Yeah. Trying to get anyone to 
do anything with the Metro, you can message them on Twitter. This is such a side tangent. You can message <laughs> them on the Twitters and whatever, and they'll say, like on the um, the press team, the press team, whatever the person is answering the messages, yes. will say very much there, sorry, here's a link to the parent company, whatever. They obviously can't do much, but I totally appreciate that. I've worked in customer-facing jobs before, but it's just such a broken service. Yeah. 40 minutes between trains, Jeremy, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, like that whole thing, I was like, let me play it on the train after all that. And, uh, and I couldn't do it this morning, but the GA is awesome. I was playing PS5 games in bed like nobody's business. Nice. I'm playing Halo Infinite as I'm walking up the stairs. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Don't do that. That's a safety hazard. Like, well, not in my house. How far can I fall? That's it's not cool, too bad. Man. I never knew you were into like um, streaming and handhelds well, I am this now. much. Is it, is it were this you is always the into it or was this what got you in? Like, why now? Why suddenly get the, the backbone slash game, sir? Well, it was, <laughs> why did you get the game, sir, game, sir? <laughs> the, um, that was, it was literally because I'd heard of the backbones for a while. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't bother with them. I remember trying a remote play when the PS, when PS4 first busted it out. Yeah. And it was quite a spotty connection. It was just a bit naff. And I was like, the streaming side of this just isn't here yet. Um, and I just sort of swore it off for a while. But I, I've heard about backbones. I've heard about the Razer Kishi is another one, which is quite a high selling one. Um, and I just never bothered with it because I was like, well, the tech isn't there yet. And then uh, Dan Durkin, like, was obviously saying his worked really well. The tech, the, the hardware looks nice. Like, mm-hmm. the controller for the backbone looks very nice. And I kind of thought when I took a step back, I was like, well, I have Game Pass. They have Game Pass streaming, like xCloud streaming. That technology works because I've tested that separately during the pandemic. Um, I have, um, you know, the PS5, like the remote play side of it. I have all these Android games like Chrono Trigger. Um, there's loads of stuff on there, like console ports of games like Max Payne, the GTA trilogy, yeah. um, that are on my phone that like, and I have also have a lot of emulated libraries like Tekken 3, Bugs and Taz Time Busters. They're all yes. sat there. Um, but for the most part, when I'm playing them, I would just tether a controller to the phone and beam the phone to the TV. Oh, but okay. I was like, why don't I just get this controller? It actually does bring everything together if I can just get a good handheld mobile thing. So I just did that. So it made sense. I had all the libraries of stuff to plug it into. And then I just I just needed a piece of hardware that would make it work, um, yeah. which is entirely where the backbone fell down. But game, sir, brilliant. I don't want to try and one-up you do or it. call you out, even though I'm going to do that exact thing Please right now. Please do that exact but thing. as a man who was slagging off the PlayStation portal a yes. few yes. months ago, yep. um, this to me looks like the exact thing almost. Admittedly cheaper. Yep. Admittedly yep. cheaper. But will, has this turned you around on the idea of the PlayStation portal now? No, not at all. This is um, <laughs> No, no, because the... the the thing is, like, the, the literally, the PlayStation Portal is Sony doing their overpriced version of what these handhelds are. Right. Like, okay. um, then, and literally as well, they've reduced functionality of the PlayStation Remote Play app. Um, certain controllers that you use, you have to go through there. Like, they've restricted like usability of it. The Backbone app still lets you do it, but from what I've read online, certain third-party apps, Sony is closing them down. The more they can force you to pay, was it three hundred pounds for the Portal or two hundred? I think it was yeah, about two hundred. It's a lot. It's yeah. way more than it needs to be. Um, but that's them going like let's reduce the functionality on other third party apps let's release an overpriced version of this that is restricted to PlayStation as a streaming device um, and then we'll just charge a hell of a lot for it and so like no the whole point of getting one of these is to get around being locked to their market for it I don't need a PlayStation portal it does a worse version of what this is my only um, hesitancy about jumping in on this myself is how does it how does your phone function as the screen because I don't want to be on my phone more than I already am if okay. that makes sense uh-huh. but is it does it is it crisp is it is it good oh, is, is, yeah. does the streaming work because when Dan Durkin again Dan Durkin <laughs> showed me bro Tato the other day on yes. how it works 
Wi-Fi. I don't even think it was Wi-Fi. It might have even been 4 or 5G. It was uh, hmm. the stutteriest game streaming thing that was, I've ever played. That was entirely our office internet. The two options you cool. have when you do this stuff is you're either streaming from the console itself if you're in the same room or the same building or whatever, which is a rock-solid connection. Like, you're just duplicating the screen, essentially, with the inputs being on your uh, handheld. Um, or, yeah, you're going to stream stuff in, which I've not done... I don't really that bothered about doing streaming from a different building altogether or a different part of the country altogether, but you can't do that. Right. Um, but, no, it's been rock-solid. It is worth saying that PlayStation's official remote play app is nowhere near as good as this optional one that has all the buzz on the social on the Reddit threads and everything um, called PS Play, which is a third-party alternative, but it streams in 1080p um, mm. and 60 FPS, and there's a ton of options for it. It seems to be like a one-person dev because they're replying to everyone, and they have been for years, um, just listening to feedback, where right. Sony have abandoned their remote play app by the looks <laughs> of it. Right. Um, and this guy's just dove in and just has... The PS Play app is exponentially better than the official one. Um, and it is five ninety nine. It is a premium app. Mm. Um, but once I had to pay for that, I didn't pay for anything on the Game Pass side. Um, and obviously, the controller already worked with everything that's already on the phone. So um, I did play to get better streaming, visual streaming on the um, through the PlayStation side. But it looks it's perfect. It looks gorgeous. A little tangent, but yes. speaking of the PlayStation app, I realized the other day that I have twenty pounds worth of credit on there through yep, yep, yep. PlayStation Stars. Yeah, I forgot that thing even rolled out. Same. I didn't even know you could get rewards like that. Did I? I thought it was digital. Um, Sorry, maybe this is when you were away. I had the exact same thing last year because I had about £45 waiting to spend. Because obviously when you buy a game, you get coins for years and years. And um, no, I had the same thing because I I went out and bought, it was like Assassin's Creed Mirage using my points. Nice. But you must have been away. I I thought I told you If it was Assassin's Creed Mirage time, yeah, I was off Uh, then. So I probably would have been out. Um, But yeah, I I noticed it and I thought, that's cool. Yeah, because you get the coins, but if you go in the store, one of the rewards is just PSN cash. Yeah. So then you just exchange it for that. And then, yeah, yeah, it's like they've not advertised that at all. I mean, nope. the, NF- the the PlayStation Stars program was meant to be their NFT program that just went sideways anyway. So yeah, this is a PSA. If you are gaming <laughs> on PlayStation a lot and you're buying a lot digitally, check out the PlayStation app. You yes. might be able to redeem some credits. It's yep. a, it was a lovely surprise at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Still didn't get... Tekken 7, though. Stop it. Get Tekken 7. Nah, I got Pacific Drive instead. Why'd you get that? Because it's really good, is Scott Tailford. It? it really is. Pacific Drive, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Mm. Sorry, I've just completely transitioned there. I don't no, dude, I had a happy resolution. I was playing Tekken 8 on my game, so <laughs> GA is beautiful. It's the first thing I played on it. I was like, this is absolutely the future. It's incredible. There you go. There's the segue. Yeah. yeah, Pacific Drive is a game I've been looking forward to for a while, and then it became undeniable when I saw the reviews drop last week, and it mm. was suddenly getting these incredibly high scores, nines out of 10s and a bunch of high 8s and I thought okay I need to jump in it's only 25 quid I'll see what the fuss is about mm-hmm. and if you don't know Pacific Drive is a kind of car survival game it's very similar to Dredge in a way it's very similar <gasps> to Death Stranding in a way and in between then it feels a bit like Snow Runner or Mud Runner where You're speaking my language I know right I know I was just picking all of the reference points for you there <laughs> where you are essentially in something called the zone I think it's called the Olympian zone in the Pacific Northwest of the US where strange activity is occurring. And there are three parts of the zone. There's the outer zone, the middle zone, and the deep zone. I only just got into the mid zone last night, but as you can probably guess, things get stranger the deeper in you get. So your job is to essentially split your time between two things in game. One, it's going out in your car, scavenging Mm -hmm. for supplies, and then returning to your garage and fixing up your car and making it more um, 
more armored, I suppose, more oh, protected against everything going on like in do a the longer outside run. world. Yeah, to yeah. do a longer run. A little bit like Dredge in that regard, where you're upgrading your mm. ship with components, you know, better headlights, more capacity, you know, better engines, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And what I love about this is that it kind of takes from roguelike games, it takes from survival games, uh, in a way that seems just targeted towards me, because what I don't like about survival games is constantly juggling, you know, thirst meters or sleep meters or mm. food meters. It feels like you're kind of constantly under pressure, whereas this kind of strikes a nice balance because you're under pressure when you go into the world itself, mm. but it's only really really your car. Though you can get out the car, your character has health, but you're not managing, you know, food or anything like that. Mm. It's just whether your car's damaged, whether you've got a flat tire, whether your headlight's broken, do I need to switch those things out? And you are completely safe when you go back to the garage and you just get time to tinker with the car itself. And it's such a compelling gameplay loop, Scott Tilford, (laughs) that going out into the world, getting bashed up a little bit, returning with all of your wares, Mm. wares, and then upgrading your vehicle. I don't really love driving games, and car kind of combat isn't for me, not that there's much of or any in here, but there's something about being out in a kind of dangerous, hostile world, and the only thing keeping you safe is this rust bucket that you've (laughs) more or less constructed yourself. Um, It's what I loved about um, Days Gone, you know. I was thinking of Days Gone, yeah. The motorcycle in there isn't as fleshed out as the car in Pacific Drive, but it's a similar thing of this is your, this is another character, more Mm. or less. It's an extension of you. It's how you get around. It's how you keep safe. It's how you evade zombies, and you've got to keep it kind of you got you got you got to make sure you're paying attention to the upkeep of it to uh, survive in this world. I've got a lot more to say about it, but just that kind of central loop is mm. so compelling that I got it, and I thought maybe this will be a little bit too slow. Maybe I'll play it here and there. Mm. I played like thirteen hours. All you didn't weekend. play Helldivers too, is and what I you did. Didn't play Helldivers, and I didn't play Dusk, which I also <laughs> bought, and I didn't play Tekken Eight, which I did not buy because I was so obsessed with this game. I uh, I can't get past the fact that it reminds me of driving in Far Cry. Um, yeah. That's the only thing is that every time I see gameplay for it, it's first person driving, and I I hate first person driving. Like you know when some people play driving games and they put it in first person. Yeah. Some people do that thing where they go like on that track cam where all you can see is the road. I've never been that guy, and I always hated the bits. I drove as little as possible in Far Cry because I just hate it. Right. And right, uh, right. I just I want to see my car. I want to see the space around me. Like it's my third person first person thing writ large. And um, but well, where I can get away with first person shooters, I hate first person platforming and I hate first person driving. I don't want. Okay. I don't want increased movement in first person. I want to see where things are. And uh, if it's the faster the game, as I say that, I love first person shooters. (laughs) I love Titanfall too. But there's just something about first person driving that, like I said, in Far Cry, I was just bumping into stuff. You can't even see what you, the the, uh, the, car itself takes up so much of the frame. I'm just like, oh God. Let me try to, sway you on this because generally I'm kind of the same. I don't have the disdain for first person in some regards that you do, (laughs) but if I'm playing a driving game, even if it's like a proper racing Mm. sim, I'm going third person. I want to see the full car. I want to see the full road. Mm -hmm. I like that this game locks you into that first person perspective because it's about the claustrophobia almost, Mm. almost. And it's a very tactile game. You know, every, you have to kind of do everything in the car and you couldn't do that first person. So for instance, you've got to turn the key by looking to it and pressing a button. You've got to pull the handbrake so you can actually, so you're not in park, so you can actually drive. Oh, you God. can turn the window 
windscreen wipers on, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's all tactile, it's all manual, it's all meticulous in that way, but it all serves a point. It's not just fluff, right? It's because you're supposed to feel claustrophobic in the car. Your headlights, your headlights going out is, is one of the scariest things that can happen because mm. you don't know what's in front of you. The game is pitch black. And it's about, I think, I, I don't drive myself, but I've been in cars where you've been on a road late at night and the wind is howling and you've got the um, rain properly battering down on the windscreen and you kind of feel like, the outside world doesn't exist. You're, oh, there's a certain level of dark where you can't see more than a few meters in yeah, front of you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it feels like you're on this like lifeboat almost. And that's definitely the vibe that this game is trying to evoke because, okay. yeah, if, if you could see your environment, it would kind of defeat the point because you're supposed to be, you know, really worried about almost what's in front of you bumping into something you didn't see. Hmm. Uh, one of the mystical anomalies bursting forth from the ground at the last minute and you've got to swerve and, 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 and the camera is focused in so you don't know what you're swerving into. It's that kind of claustrophobia and that hmm. kind of like narrowness to your vision that ultimately makes it work, I think, and, and really allows you to be immersed in this kind of, like I said, hostile environment. Mm -hmm. So you might not like that, I concede, you know, that kind of punishing, dangerous sort of perspective, you know, it might get frustrating. Mm. It definitely is intentional that it's frustrating, but I can see why people would just go, why would I want to do that? <laughs> well, because have you, have you, one of you failed a run, what happens if you fail a run? And then have you, what's the breadth of combat like? Can you drive the car into enemies? Are you supposed to be getting out at all? Or are you, is well, there more weapons from inside the car? Here's the thing. Let me explain. There's actually no combat in the game, at least now when I'm like 15 hours in, I can't imagine they're just going to mm. throw combat at me. But there are um, dangers in the world. So there are these things called anomalies and these can be, these get stranger the, the deeper into the zone you get. But for instance, there are some um, like mannequins that, well, for lack of a better term, mannequins that pop out of the ground mm. and suddenly you'll have like a bunch of them in front of you. And every time you like turn away, it's kind of like the Doctor Who thing of they'll they'll disappear and they'll oh, move. Okay, cool. But if you drive into them, it sets off a chain reaction where they all explode, which can damage your car, which can damage you. Mm. There is extreme weather coming in. Hurricanes can like sweep your car off the road, lightning strikes. And then you've got like... I don't even know what they are because I haven't progressed the story enough, but for lack of a better term, I'll refer to them as aliens. So you've right. got like um, these lightning beings that kind of like burrow under the ground and will try to electrify your car. You've got like a saw blade that can cut the road in half and it in half, and if you're on that road, it will just cause massive damage to your oh, car. That's cool. There are other anomalies that launch you into the air. There are these things, these these things called abductors that kind of fly around. And if you get under them or if their light sees you, they will attach a plunger to the top of your car and, right. and like just send you flying in that regard. So there are all of these um, dangers to sort of look out for that makes each run treacherous. Now, the thing is, I haven't actually failed a run yet. Mm. And this is a game... And if it feels like I'm just doing a horrible humble brag every time I talk about this stuff, but it's a game. We all know you're the Adonis. It's it's a game that will be better the more you lose. And mm. I I haven't lost a run yet. Right. And there are these things called quirks, for instance, where if your if a car part gets like hurt so much and you keep repairing it, it can develop a thing called a quirk. So. For instance, every time you break, your door might eject or something, or <laughs> your bonnet will like just c come unstuck at right. certain points, and you won't be able to see out the windscreen. It'll it's stuff like that, mm -hmm. and I haven't developed any of those. And I'm like, oh, I kind of I want to develop a quirk. I want to yeah, have to yeah. deal with that. Um, there are roguelike sort of mechanics that 
like works similarly to something like a Hades or a Eternal where, you know, you're going on these runs and if you don't manage to get back, you will lose some stuff, but there is way more persistent progression. Like you're always coming back to upgrade your upgrade your garage with new mm. stations, with new uh, features and stuff like that. So it's not a roguelike in the sense of you're always doing the same thing, always starting from the cool. same point. There are procedurally generated areas, but it's way more persistent than mm. that. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I just think it's cool because when you finish a run, you have to collect energy essentially while you go. And every time you finish a run, you have to call in a big beam of light that will transport you back to your garage. Okay. But as soon as you do that, you also call in a storm. Right. And you spend every final, all the final few minutes of a run trying to outrun this storm while <laughs> getting into this light, while you're avoiding all of the anomalies and trees and drops or whatever that's I would in it. I would lose that. <laughs> I would just tip the car and lose everything and at the very end and it, I'd swear it off. Oh, man, well, that's it. That's the beauty of it because that stuff happens and you get through by the skin of your teeth, but it's kind of like failing in Death Stranding. Like, mm. you know, when you're learning that game for the first time <laughs> and you start the game tripping over your own feet, yeah. like falling in rivers, you're you're, you're losing all of your cargo downstream. This game has a little bit of that where mm. you feel initially overwhelmed and that you gain that mastery over the space and over the 
world and over the environment mm. where you're then beaming for the exfil and you're doing it confidently. You're outrunning the storm. You're like <laughs> swerving past these anomalies. You're using the, the stuff that you've scavenged and attached to your car in smart ways. And oh, what a progression. The, th- the thing Love that it. stands out to me is like, I um, I like the double A side of this. Like the yeah. whole idea, like the, you know, there's, there's a whole conversation of like how samey triple A stuff is, how much we're all sick of live service stuff. And it's like something like this comes along and it goes alongside the likes of a, a Helldivers 2 or a Power World or whatever it is. Something that turns heads because it's just got a cool set of mechanics to it and it's gameplay forward. I, I think of it through that lens where it's like this is scoring so well and I'm seeing it turn up everywhere where it's like Pacific Drive kind of out of nowhere is suddenly one of 2024's most recommended games. And I'm like, that looks awesome. Like visually looks awesome. It's just that the gameplay thing, I, I think it's going to annoy me. But um, I might, for me, it'll be something I get to around about summer, I think. Yeah. Um, depending on what it's like looking after a child. <laughs> but uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I just think like yeah. what you said there is a sort of final thing. Uh, mm. You know, I'm pretty sure this studio is sub 20 people right cool 25 quid and you know coming off the heels of some quadruple and triple a disasters that we might get to talk about later on like suicide squad and um, skull and bones Mm -hmm. to see games that have more not i don't want to refer to them as budget games but a smaller asking price you know $40 $40 or $25 mm-hmm. in this case £25 and having them be so feature complete and so polished and so pristine and um, it's it's incredible man I mean yeah. I, I say that with you know Helldivers having server problems and Pacific Drive having frame rate dips but still <laughs> the games themselves incredible for that price hey Helldivers is finally fixed now hey. they, they upped the server cap to 750,000 players or something because um, even 450,000 was still getting server dips but um, Helldivers 2 phenomenal I was playing last night with Trek Cultures Chris Thompson and Who Cultures Danny Megan lovely to shout out other What Culture channels but um, yeah Helldivers 2 I can't recommend enough I'm not going to talk too much or if at all about um, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth because I want to finish that game and then I'll talk about it and uh, me and you will do something on the Tomb Raider remasters I think for later in the week yeah, let's because do that. Uh, we talk about remasters and stuff if we don't then I forgot to follow up on this but we'll see because that's the other thing I've been playing is the Tomb Raider trilogy um, we should talk about some new stuff though a Bloodborne movie, Josh Brown. Would you like one? Tell me more. I I would, but I have a lot of conditions that need to be met. <laughs> if one of those conditions is um, Bill Skarsgård. It is. And then you might be okay. Um, so this comes from Daniel RPK, a known leaker responsible for various things from MCU plot points to The Last of Us Factions multiplayer details um, a couple of years ago, let's say. Um, now saying that Sony are looking to develop a Bloodborne movie. This is a follow-up from a leak from last year, and um, we'll get to all of it. But the new thing, or the new... Um, information is that Sony's interested in using Adam Wingard, who did Godzilla vs. Kong to direct the Bloodborne movie, and Bill Skarsgård would star. Um, last year, it's worth noting um, that last year, um, Daniel RPK also mentioned that Darren Lemke is apparently writing it, which is the dude that did Shazam, uh, Gemini Man, and Goosebumps, and a few other things. Um, but I have a bit more on this, but initial thoughts on Bloodborne. Gemini Man. The writer of <laughs> Gemini Man. We don't man. talk about Gemini Man. I'm not sure I like Bloodborne that. Bloodborne Man, that's him. Uh, the, uh, the Bloodborne Man. Yeah, yeah, you can always reinvent yourself. <laughs> Jason um, very conflicted, Scott. Um, yeah. The fact that it's live action is exciting for me, but mm. I honestly thought that going down the anime route would have been maybe safer and perhaps mm-hmm. even more fitting to Bloodborne's visual style and mythos. Mm-hmm. I like Bill Skarsgård a lot. I like it when he's being creepy. I like it when he's being normal. And I like it when he's being normal creepy. I think he can do a lot. <laughs> he's got a lot of range as an actor. Uh-huh. Adam Wingard is another element of this that I'm a little bit divided on because Mm. I've liked some Adam Wingard movies. I thought Godzilla vs. Kong was all right. I actually really liked the Blair Witch film that he did. Um, And his earlier horror stuff, I think, 
would make him a good fit for the horror themes of Blood Bomb. Mm-hmm. But he's, for me personally, a little bit hit and miss. Um, and I think when Sony gets directors for these movie adaptations specifically, mm-hmm. the writing teams and the directing teams are always... They've never really filled me with confidence. <laughs> like I liked Uncharted, but yes. like the writer of that movie and the director of that movie kind of makes you think, well, could you maybe have made a better film with yeah. filmmakers and with Gran Turismo, which was directed by Neil Blomkamp, and it's like another hit or miss director, and it's like, Sony, what's going on? Surely <laughs> well, you've got better connections. I feel like um, Sony are second only to Warner Brothers, or maybe they're overtaking them in regards to how much studioing there is to an ongoing project. Look at the likes of Madden right. Web. Look how hacked to death a lot of that stuff is um, to try and appease, assumedly, test audiences or various data points they've got out there. Well, if we just put this plot point, edit the scene this way or whatever, I'm probably oversimplifying it. However, when you look at the final products, it looks exactly like that, um, where things are just sliced to ribbons. Like you said, Uncharted, I didn't mind at all. That final uh, pirate ship in flying set pieces, pure Uncharted DNA. Um, there's some good stuff in there. I haven't seen Gran Turismo yet. But I did want to say that um, all of this feels like um, is that's why we haven't got the Bloodborne update yet, a 60 FPS patch or a remaster or a remake or whatever. Um, I think Sony have this overall new mandate going on, and we have a couple of things to point to um, where they want to have a, a movie or a TV show alongside the remake. Like, you had it with The Last right. of Us, um, you know, the HBO show, then you got Last of Us Part 1 getting remade. They remastered Last of Us Part 2 as well, because um, you might as well, considering how big that show went. Um, and the smoke and gun is Until Dawn. We finally got the, a look yes. at the Until Dawn remake, and we know there's an Until Dawn movie coming out, and uh, I think that's their whole thing. Sony, um, Sony uh, PlayStation Productions, or whatever the hell they call their new studio, um, that whole mandate seems to be double-pronged thing. Surely... You cannot do a Bloodborne movie without doing the remake, That's what right? I'm saying. Like, I think, you know, gamers across the globe would revolt because <laughs> it's clear if you're doing a movie adaptation that you have faith in the IP, that mm-hmm. you enjoy the IP and think it's popular enough to make money, but you've been ignoring Bloodborne as a gaming franchise for... Nearly 10 years, man. The thing it came is, out in 2015. Yeah, and shout out to uh, Nextlander because they were talking about this as well, the Nextlander podcast. The idea of, um, you know, like if, if Sony needs to make more money right now, the idea of just, do, even if you just put a 60 FPS patch on Bloodborne and then release it on PC or whatever it is, if you yeah. need to charge for it, whatever, I don't want them to do that. But in an era where we have, um, you know, Sony's interim president, Hiroki Totoki, talking about they need to be better with their money, their finances, and how much yeah, games are taken to develop, how long they take, etc. This is such an open goal, easy win. It has been for nine years now, but for the love of God, just give us at least a frame oh. rate update. They have to do the bare minimum alongside the movie. I, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that throws all this off is that you might not even get the movie for another two years or something like that, and then, you know, we're assumedly closer to the PS6 or whatever it is, but still, yes. I would assume that this is why. I think under, um, you also had Hiroki Totoki talking about um, they don't have any major exclusives until the end, until March next year. Um, that whole thing about how they want to set back, they want to focus on their live service stuff. Helldivers is doing numbers. Um, I think, you know, whilst they figure out exactly what kind of company they want to be with their old president, Jim Ryan, stepping down, um, the likes of going forward with movie TV slash, um, you know, other media with a new version of a game, yeah, that's a thing that should stay. It is. And I just, the only thing I worry about is whether they're, like you said, you know, in terms of the big studios, they are genuinely second only to Warner Brothers when it comes to just mishandling the their movie portfolio. Mm. I think they're doing a better job at TV, you know, just yes. looking at something like The Last of Us, um, which, 
you know, like that show or not, did very well from mm. a commercial standpoint and a critical standpoint. But like the movies, like you said, Uncharted, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Gran Turismo kind of came and went. I think they need to be better. And when I look at Bloodborne, and I want to throw this question over to you and yes. the comments, <laughs> um, and whoever wants to get in touch on social media, um, like what do you even want a Bloodborne movie to be? Because personally, I think if you're spending more than $50 million on it, you're kind of setting yourself up for a fall. Like mm. I'll, I'd want to focus on the on the horror. Yeah. I want to I want it to be nasty. I'd want it to be bloody. I want it to have some action in it, but like I don't know how you do it. I don't know what scale of production this is because Gran Turismo was a pretty big scale movie. Not mm. like the biggest, but pretty big. Um, Uncharted, obviously a hundred million dollar plus. Where will this fall? Well, the thing is, like, do you do a new Hunter story? Are you someone who's arriving in Yarnum and you get the whole you know you do the audience surrogate thing where you find that you arrive in Yarnum, it's a ghost town, you're going for some reason or whatever it is, and no one's there anymore, and then you find out about all the the blood curse and all that kind of stuff, um, and you're exploring the streets from there. That feels like a Sony way to do it. However, I would rather they did something like the Father Gascoigne story or whatever, where Mm. you've got a character and you've got a little plot twist kind of in there. You've got um, some pre-baked sort of um, twists, like I said, to pull from, um, and an established character that has a look and uh, and things like that. But yeah, the combat side of it's interesting because do do you have... Can you do a Soulsian adaptation without some sort of giant boss fight? Does it need that? Can you do a character-driven one? Can you do an atmospheric-driven one? How much does that affect the budget? Um, you know, can you Blumhouse it where you have a, a specific cap and you spend that however you want? Yeah. I wonder what people want from a Bloodborne movie. Me my, too. my gut says atmosphere over bosses. But yeah. I, just, I don't know. Like, I mean, um, you could maybe do a bit of both. That might be, yeah, that's the thing, right? I, I know what I think, well, I think I know what I want from a Bloodborne movie, but mm. is that what the general audience would want? Because, you know, like you said, the bosses, the combat, it's such a big part of that game, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you would need a huge budget if you want to bring the eldritch horror part of that game to life like when that game shifts into more cosmic horror like that's a scale (laughs) that will be ridiculous for a movie and you will need 100 million dollars plus presumably to bring to life in the same way that the game does it because you're suddenly dealing with these huge monsters on this massive scale mm-hmm. and um, in inside these already huge cities. So yeah, no, I wasn't even thinking about how to because I was just thinking that was impossible to do. Like right. the, that whole review. I guess spoilers. I guess for Bloodborne, it is nine years old. But towards the back third of that game, when you start um, seeing things differently, let's say, and you see these big, like you said, like Lovecraftian horrors, like that have always been watching you. You just couldn't see them yeah. or whatever. And certain bosses that are a lot more spectral in nature. That's suddenly cranks up the budget. And I mean, even if you went on practical effects. There's no real way to do that, yeah. And like, and and do it Blumhouse style. They've never done anything that big. I'm only making comparing to Blumhouse because they're known for having restricted budgets, yes. and making things work. But that also restricts locations and stuff like that. That's it, man. It's like, do you scale it back and kind of focus on the first half of Bloodborne? Do the more Bram Stoker inspired, you know, like werewolves and mm. smaller village. Um, I was going to say, like, what would you even describe them as? Villager horrors, you know, when yeah, they're like kind yeah. of infected. But they're human. Humanoid is what I'm looking for. I don't know if you villager. saw, just to throw it in, I don't know if you saw Brotherhood of the Wolf. but um, I haven't, but I know that. That like, gets cited a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Just because the costumes look very, very similar. If you've seen that movie, it's not really close to Bloodborne in terms of the story, but the look of it, you yeah. could be like that. That's, well, like, I think they've got the look down, right? I think whatever, whether they go the cosmic horror, whether they go the Bram Stoker horror route, they, like the look of Bloodborne is perfect to bring to life <laughs> in, a, in a movie space. Mm-hmm. It just is, yeah, what story are you going to tell? And what story are you going to tell within a movie? Because that gives you, let's say, two hours to tell this narrative. And Bloodborne's law is so rich that I, I do, you, do you 
tell the story of um, old Yarnum and that, like, the, the initial beast sur- scourge that sort of happened there, and then the, you know, the entire thing was bombed, essentially, mm-hmm. all burned down, and then we built Yarnum on top of it. Like, do we start there, or do we start in Yarnum, and then we discover that as we go? To me, I look at this, and I think this would make an excellent television show. Like yeah. a high-budget TV show where you get 10 <laughs> episodes and you get really into the law. You follow one character going through this nightmare, mm-hmm. starting quite humbly fighting a few werewolves and getting to the end where you're fighting this moon presence itself <laughs> coming down. <laughs> That's um, the thing, yeah, how far do you do the spectral stuff? I think, yeah, like I said, the whole audience surrogate character thing, I think there's a hybrid of the two where you could almost do like the Castlevania anime on uh, Netflix where... Um, uh, Trevor Belmont is like an established member of the Belmont clan. He can yeah. fight really well, um, but he's also taking on, he's discovering the what he's gotten, getting himself into in real time kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, just assumedly not Tom Holland or Chris Pryor. <laughs> hey, you never know. They're in the Jack and Daxter movie, so apparently there's that. Hey, man, Bill Skarsgård could play like the creepy little From Software character, <laughs> and then you could have Tom Holland, you could have The Rock, and you could have... Chris Pratt in there. Kevin Hart's the slug. There you go. Kevin Hart's the little slug. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about something else. Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones is not doing very well, Josh Brown. It's not, but does this surprise anyone? (laughs) No. Um, Skull and Bones apparently is underperforming, according to Insider Gaming's Tom Henderson. The game has apparently 850,000 players, which sounds like it's a lot, um, but that apparently includes people who signed up for the free trial. The full numbers aren't out yet, um, and Insider Gaming notes that they won't know them until May. Um, But still, this is the game that was described as a quadruple-A game by CEO Eve Guillemot. Um, They charged a premium price point of £70 slash $70, and overall it seems like it is underperforming. Um, internally as well, Insider Gaming had a report with a quote from an Ubisoft employee saying that I think we all knew this was a $30 to $40 game at best, but it's not in our control to determine those things. Um, another report from Insider Gaming said $200 million in a decade-long development is some that the company doesn't expect to make back. The game's development saw thousands of developers working on the game across 11 different studios, which saw countless changes in creative direction and constant internal delays. Another recent Kotaku report noted, and this is in present tense because it's from last year. Another former developer said Ubisoft has bet big on Skull and Bones and is determined to ship it one way or another. In part, that's because live service games have become an increasingly important and lucrative part of Ubisoft's portfolio. Three sources told Kotaku that a deal with the Singapore government requires the game, in addition to hiring a certain number of people at its Singapore studio in exchange for generous subsidies. Ubisoft Singapore must also launch original brand new IPs in the next few years. There's a little bit more to the more current reports here, but did any of us are any of us surprised by this? No, I don't think even Ubisoft is surprised. Like, they cannot have been looking at the budget for this game, the resources they've pumped into it, the fan response online. If no. you could even recall, if you could even call the players of this game fans of it, <laughs> um, and thought they were going to make any kind of splash, I honestly thought that them describing it as a quadruple A game was genuinely a bit insulting. And if yeah. if, if, if if this news story was just big game comes out and gets nearly a million players. I don't even think that would be necessarily newsworthy. I think it's within the context of Skull and Bones. It's within the context of how it's been marketed as this lavish production. Mm. And it certainly is in terms of the money that's been pumped into it, but does the end result reflect it? I don't think so, (laughs) and I've only looked at the game, you know what I mean, in terms of it... It's visual style in terms of what you're actually doing in it compared to something like Assassin's Creed Black Flag from yes. a decade ago. I was watching the Eurogamer video on it last night, which is incredible, by the way, that's looking into just how dated it looks. And I think they even said, yeah, you could describe this as quadruple A in terms of the amount of time that's been invested, mm. the amount of 
effort that's gone into it, but just looking at it from a technical perspective, this is not on the level of even other Ubisoft titles, right? Well, the idea of the quadruple-A game is such a weird, stupid thing. It was mentioned when the Perfect Dark reboot first came out, yeah. and when that was first announced, the idea of oh, the world's first quadruple-A game. And then Yves Guillemot is the guy that mentioned it in regards to Sea of, um, sea of Thieves. That's because <laughs> it so is Sea of Thieves. Skull and Bones um, mentioned it then. I think it was uh, almost like a something he didn't mean to say or whatever, because it's it's a dot-dot-dot thing. He starts to say, oh, it's a triple-A game. Ah, it's actually it's a quadruple-A game. And I think maybe that did reflect the amount of time that it's been in development. Um, Insider Gaming's new report does say that players seem fairly engaged. The average player plays between three to four hours a day, and, and they say, however, whether or not that will change once the free trial expires or if it will convert players into full purchases remains to be seen. The main thing that I see being shared is that you can't do um, actual melee combat. There's no, no swashbuckling stuff. You can't actually be a pirate. You can be a pirate ship. You can be a pirate in regards to designing your character and walking around, um, but I think a lot of us, and I'm going back 11 years, yeah. 2013 for Black Flag, um, a lot of us had that idea of, you know, if you would scull someone else's ship, you swing in on the rope and you fight that other player, and that would be Skull and Bones. I mean, they start, they've been mentioning it for the last six-ish years now, mm-hmm. um, but it's been in development for a long time. And even the ship mechanics that are here started in Assassin's Creed 3. Like, it's been around for a long time. Yes. Um, but to not capitalize on the most obvious gameplay mechanic there is a big missed opportunity, at least to someone like me who would have given this a shot if there was something to it other than just the stock ship combat that's been there before. Um, all the gameplay that seems to be doing the rounds if it's not pointing out the flaws um, is just saying that what is there is just repeating you're just looking for crafting mechanics you're pulling up next to some trees yeah. to harvest some trees um, and you're trying to take on various players and stuff but it's just it's not it's nowhere near Sea of Thieves which itself was had quite a rough launch anyway um, or to get to the point where it was worth playing outright um, and then what is there is just very very repetitive anyway I'm fascinated to, to know if we ever see the other versions of this game because this can't be the game that <laughs> that was in production 10 years ago or however I many know, years man. ago it was like this bare bones experience like why would it have taken this long to get this mm. out i know you know it's still ambitious in certain ways especially making it a live service and having all of these other players in the same world mm-hmm. but yeah like you said you know it, it's it's already based off a model that already existed over a decade ago that mm-hmm. people liked, but if that's all there is, like, where are the innovations? Where is the where is the money gone? Where is <laughs> where's the time gone? Like, how many people were working on this? How many versions of this have been made? Because even looking at um, you know, the the finished gameplay, comparing it to even trailers from a couple of years ago, it's like it's like night and day in terms yeah. of the presentation and what they were you know, maybe hoping to achieve and what they have achieved. I do think, you know, again, I'm not even necessarily commenting on the game's quality, what there might be good. I'm just talking about, like, what have they shipped? Haha, very uh-huh. good pun, I thought. And where does it fall within the context of Ubisoft? Because mm. you can say, like, they didn't market it very well. They haven't given it a big push. They also haven't pushed any of their recent games. Like, they didn't push no. Avatar, which was surprisingly really good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, they're not even really given that much of a push to Star Wars Outlaws, yes. is it called? Yeah, yeah, um, the open We world. had that big sort of reveal trailer, but that's apparently coming sooner rather than later. And it's like, that should be the one that you're really pushing and marketing They've... like why do they just not have faith in their own games is my question at this moment in time yeah i mean i know why they don't in the case of skull and bones but like it's it's more than just this one title it's it's a problem with ubisoft as a as a company i feel in the confidence in their own product mm-hmm. it's, it's their pivot towards the live service stuff like the insider gaming report mentions that obviously some of the games that are coming up are the uh, the mobile version of the division they've got a far cry game that's coming out which we have covered before it's based on the netflix show and um, or it seems to be um i still feel 
feel like we've got so many companies reacting to the live service stuff. You've got so many companies reacting to um, player numbers across the pandemic. How do we monetize that increased growth of people playing? Obviously, the reality of the pandemic starting to end or fizzling out or whatever the hell you want to call the state we're in isn't the same as it was and a lot less people play games, but the, the plans that were in motion are still there. Mm-hmm. There's also the big budget AAA side of things where um, that whole idea of spending $300 million on a game is such a rarity at this point um, and trying to have more um, you know monetizable avenues to fund those games over time. It's just weird though, like you said, it's not like you look at this and go, this is a pristine game. This is something that is dripping with like you know quality and opulence and whatever. Yeah. It looks like exactly what we thought a Assassin's Creed Black Flag multiplayer game would have been 11 years ago. And it's, it's it largely seems to play the same as well. I wonder, man, if, if they launch Skull and Bones free to play or heavily mm. discounted to $30 and $40 and still had the microtransactions in and mm. whatnot and were relying on them for the revenue, like would people have wanted to jump in? I think $70 at this moment in time is just a ridiculous asking price yes. for games as ropey as this. Look at the releases so far this year. We've had Suicide Squad. We've had Skull and Bones. We've had these big AAA or quadruple A $70 <laughs> games kind of crash and burn. And then on the other hand, we've had something like Helldivers, $40. That's just not only selling well, it's increasing in sales week on week, which is so rare yeah, for companies to do. Like, I just feel like that $70 price point for things that aren't a guaranteed 9 out of 10 mm. or 10 out of 10 is just, it's killing more games than saving games. Like, yeah, you might get a little bit more revenue, but you also need to convince people way more than yeah, yeah. the previous price point or even lower. Yeah, man. And this year in particular, like you said, like Power World, I think was 25. Right, um, yeah. Like, you know, that wasn't a free game either. But like, those are the, the two biggest success stories of the year. Helldivers is ludicrous. That game is incredible. Um, it, does all, it deserves all the plaudits. It deserves all the player numbers and everything. But having such a brazen comparison, twice in a row now, Power World to Suicide Squad, Helldivers to um, Skull and Bones. Um, you, either the market rejects the 70 pound price point outright, which you can argue that, like mm-hmm. there's, there are cases where something like Spider-Man will still sell well, um, but there is that argument that maybe it would have sold even better if it was $60 or £60. Pounds. Um, and that whole like, that whole conversation around Spider-Man in particular about did it feel like it was a premium quality product all the way through the same way as the 2018 one um, or whatever, it's just that you're seeing an industry try to recoup the funds uh, yes. and like certain projects that go on for way too long. Obviously, in this case, we have the Singapore stuff where it's like they had a governmental contract where it's like we need to ship something, which I think is why the game itself doesn't have that much to it. Again, I'm being super um, regressive. I would love more devs to weigh in in the comments, get in touch, whatever. Um, But that idea of this game's going to ship anyway, so let's focus on our other projects. You know, Ubisoft turned a lot of games around, um, including in the entire time that this game's been in development, the whole new version of Assassin's Creed from Origins all the way through to Valhalla and all the DLC packs and everything. I'd imagine that that is where most of the focus was across the last few years. And then you get back to this project, you dig it up and you sort of zap it a bit and go, right, okay, let's ship this thing anyway. Yeah, I mean, like you you said, and like that Kotaku um, article reported Mm. on years ago, like this thing had to ship in some form or at least something new from Ubisoft Singapore had to ship at some point. It reminds me of what they do in the film industry with something like, I think it's called Hellraiser Bloodline. One of the old Hellraiser... Movies or the Hulu one. something like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5, yes. where you have these agreements, you might have a license to a franchise, and at a certain point, you just have to 
give in to the contract. You can't break the contract. If that says you need to get a Hellraiser movie out in five years, you need to get one out, whether yeah, that's like yeah. a good one that you believe in or whether in the case of that one I'm referring to, which I forget the title of, really nightmare an- analogy here. <laughs> if you just spend $100,000 on it and just say, there, we've made a Hellraiser movie. Mm. We haven't marketed it. We put it straight to DVD, but we made one. So our contract <laughs> is fulfilled. It Money, feels, please. Yeah, it feels a little bit like that. It's like, well... Yeah, we just need to sh- we need to get this out. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure we don't break this contract. We need to make sure we uh, fulfill what we've promised. And I feel like you know the fact that Skull and Bones exists, where so many other games, even in Ubisoft's own catalog, have been cancelled, mm. is it's just very telling. I don't know if we'll ever see something <laughs> like this again that isn't an official license, like a Star Wars or a Tony Hawk or whatever. No. Where like you really need to get one out, otherwise you lose your rights to it. Something being in development for nine years is, uh, that's, a, that's a genuine human toll. And yes. it's like, if you're yeah. p- part of the, because it's obviously, like I said, thousands of people worked on this thing, um, getting it over the finish line should be celebrated. If you're someone who worked on that game, like props to you, like yeah. you, got, you got it finished, that's awesome, you did your work and everything else. Um, and you can obviously be passionate about it. I think it, it is fascinating looking at, it, at an industry that starts to average those lengths of development, or at least that idea that something like Jason Schreier talked about over on Bloomberg, that if something goes into development now, the average is about a decade. Um, to get that upper echelon of game. And that that's just unsustainable. It's the Sean Layden thing, who's the next PlayStation boss. Um, you need to bring those numbers down somehow or yeah. the project scope or whatever it is, whatever's costing that much money. Again, because like I said, you know, mm. Skull and Bones, like there was no reality where that wasn't going to be $70 mm. just because of the amount of money poured into it. And that's, that to me, that's a shame for the developers. Obviously, you know, they will believe in their product. They'll believe that it's worth $70, but would a smarter pricing model or even Mm. a free-to-play model have gotten more people on board, gotten more people to give it a try? Like I mentioned, I think... I think it would have, but like you said, because of the brass tacks of the business and the amount of time it's been in development and the amount of money spent on it, mm-hmm. Ubisoft is, of course, going to sell it for $70 because they need to make all that money back. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to be even more of a write-off than it already is. But is that good for the game? And if we, we're going forward and we're seeing these six to seven to eight to nine-year development times normalized, like how many games are going to be cannibalized by that price point because they just... It, it, they have, you know, businessmen going, we need to make the money back. It needs to be this price point. We cannot budge on it. Yeah. Let's also talk about Suicide Squad, this game. Um, speaking of things that are not doing very well, Suicide Squad has less than 1,000 players on Steam, 923 when I last checked. Um, and I wanted to do a comparison here. It took the Avengers game about two years to get under 1,000 players. Really? That's it. Suicide Squad's ach- achieved that uh, in about a month. Um, Square Enix did take the Avengers game offline altogether. That game is no longer available. They did price the living hell out of it in the closing months of when the Avengers game was still live. They were overcharging people for the skins um, before it finally fizzled out altogether. But the Suicide Squad game has bombed even harder. Um, Warner Brothers have published their recent financial results. They've said the game has fallen short of expectations, which is a very nice way of saying it. Um, Suicide Squad, one of our key video game releases of 2024, has fallen short of our expectations since its release earlier in the quarter, setting our game's business up for a tough year, a year on year uh, in Q1. Um, They do have plans for the rest of this year. Like, I'm bringing up the Avengers stuff because it's a direct comparison to that assumption that the game won't last very much longer. Um, But they have things announced for 2024. They have the joke 
Joker coming in March. They've got a couple of character episodes focused on Scarecrow and Two-Face. Um, you know, these have said they have plans going forward. Yeah. Obviously, everything will get scuppered if the game just isn't making any money at all. But as a post-mortem, like, you know, you finished the Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. It is interesting looking at this. I feel like nobody wanted it. It all played out the exact way we thought. People like yourself and you and played through it, confirmed it's pretty much as, as bad as we thought. Um, and now it's kind of all over. And it's interesting thinking that maybe in another few months or a year or so, it goes the way of the Avengers. And we all just sort of look back at it as like this, Okay. I think the end game is the problem, man. And right. sorry, I can't talk about this without doing full spoilers yes. for the end of Suicide Squad, but I'll still try to keep it as vague as possible. I think at this point, you've either played through it because you're a proper DC hardcore yeah. fan or whatever, or you're like me and you don't care. But we're going to do spoilers for the for the thing. Absolutely. I think, you know, I said this in the review as well. I didn't hate the game until the end. Right. And it's when they just reveal that the end game is going to be based around doing these multiversal incursions, as they're called, and you're fighting Brainiac 13 times, 13 different versions. And there's no further story hook other than go out and kill this guy, mm. save the multiverse. Like, unless they introduce more story elements in these DLC packs and these updates, there's just not enough there to, in my opinion, justify continuing with the game after you hit credits because the loot is crap. The loot is useless. Like, right. I don't think many people will be involved in the gameplay loop to the point where they're really craving more power. You know, I played the game and I didn't have to change my weapons like once. I changed right. my grenades, I changed my melee weapons, but I used pretty much the same two guns for the, for 70 to 80% of my entire journey. Right. And I was like, all right, there we go. That's fine. Why do I care if this does five more damage or mm. this does a slightly different elemental attack? So that... Is that is, sorry, is that the main differentiator between the loot you're getting is damage bonuses? It's not like, oh, you can equip like an auto-firing SMG versus like a single-shot rifle. No, it's the, um, it's the Borderlands approach, right. but like... Sub borderlands, like element damage and damage boosts. Exactly that. You are incrementally upgrading mm. these weapons, and you are yeah, you're applying elemental attacks. Some have like very minor differences in how they handle, but for the most part, if you fired a machine gun in the first hour, you fired a machine gun right. in hour twenty. Just you might set someone on fire or it does a bit more damage, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? And the guns themselves are, are fine enough to use, but it doesn't have that, um, I think, hook in terms of gear that even the Avengers had. Even mm. the Avengers, you know, I hate the gear system in that where you're, again, just putting the numbers up and your your gear doesn't even apply to the way your character looks. It's, it's This isn't much better, to right. be honest. And that combined with the lack of story hook, just I don't know why you would play the game once you've hit the credits. It's mm. similar to even Shadow of War, man. That infinite few, mode. Yeah. yeah had, like from a few years ago, had a little bit more to it than mm. this, in my opinion, because that at least had the nemesis system yeah. to fall back on and you're trying to take over these territories and whatnot. I think even compared to the Avengers, and this is the biggest criticism I have of Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad plays better. It's a better playing game. There's something there mechanically. Mm. It looks gorgeous. The facial animation's excellent. Character performance is really good. There's still a lot of Rocksteady DNA in there mm -hmm. but why i say the avengers is a better game is because it has a, it actually has an ending for one and it uses that ending as a jumping off point for updates mm -hmm. it can bring characters in tell different stories Su suicide squad hasn't convinced me that it can do that when this game ends you fundamentally i think have an unfinished story right and 
the idea that that could be finished later on is not enough because mm. why would I play that now when I'm not going to get answers for months and months and months? For all of the Avengers problems, and I'm just, you know, cry-assing on at this moment in time, that didn't do that, I don't right. think. It, it used it as a jumping-off point. Well, the thing is, like, as a direct comparison uh, and the idea of a story, like, I th- this makes me think of how many different studios are trying to adapt to the live service model, i.e., a standard game's development or development of a game that then gets stretched out over time piecemeal. You drip feed, maybe th- like maybe they announce the next chapter in the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League story, and it's it's coming out later in the year. Stick around for that. Um, get to a certain level by this point. Like that was kind of indicative of all the stuff that happened internally at Sony uh, with um, Bungie's internal review um, right. and like how they sort of went to each individual team. And, and apparently there was some sort of internal review done where Bungie were involved, obviously developers of Destiny, and the likes of the, uh, the Last of Us game didn't make it out of that review that was apparently some key part of um you know however naughty dog were approaching it wasn't the way that bungie thought it was supposed to go um and then bungie themselves had a whole bunch of problems with layoffs and the way that destiny was perceived and everything else apparently bungie helped with hell divers too so they did really they managed to help a little bit more yeah, um, fair enough. so it's not too bad but um in regards to um that idea of how do we take established games development many years into a cycle and how do we adapt that to live service or someone like rocksteady who are known for single player story driven games like obviously the arkham trilogy um and even urban rain riot response or whatever the hell it was called urban chaos yeah, riot response. chaos yeah Urban Rain is the Namco fighting game, which is awesome. Um, how do you then try and adapt that to a live service model? Even then, you've got a third-person over-shoulder shooter coming out of a timing-based melee mechanic. Like it, yeah. Going from Arkham to Suicide Squad was a jump anyway. And then you're seeing, it feels like you're seeing teams struggle to adapt to that. Um, and behind the scenes, again, from the Sony side, um, that was apparently part of why uh, veteran producer Connie Booth was let go. It was apparently some internal strife over um, conversations that involved her and involved the teams that she manages. And not wanting, if your proficiency is in story-based games and single-player, mm. not wanting to pivot onto multiplayer if that's being forced upon you. Well, speaking of that, it is shocking to me how similar Suicide Squad is to Anthem. Right, S- yes. Like to what you Bio were saying there. perfect one for that. Taking yeah. uh, Studio Prime, merrily known for its single-player games, its complex stories, and trying to graph them into a live-service studio that you can have I could lay you out bullet points of criticisms I have about Suicide Squad and they would pretty much all apply to mm. Anthem it's a game with a fundamentally compelling core some amazing ideas some rock solid gameplay that just can't support itself within a mm. live structure framework that doesn't have the mission variety that doesn't have the loot and doesn't have the end game to succeed and, and it's a shame because you can have there's a version of the Suicide Squad game mm. that rules that is amazing that mm. tells a compelling story that is complete that uses the great fundamentals that it has to strong effect to to give you a compelling gaming loop to give you satisfying character interactions and to give you a satisfying story but the soon as you get your live service hooks in it and do exactly what you said of well how do we stretch this out how do yeah. we make this how do we support this for a year going forward how do we keep people engaged in the same loops over and over again you end up with this just Ah, compromised, I think, is the word. Compromised core in the same way that Anthem was. And to be fair, just like Anthem, um, I do want to see this succeed. I always wanted Mm. Anthem 2.0 to come out and blow (laughs) us away. And I want to see Suicide Squad 2.0. I just don't know if it's too fundamentally broken at this point. 
That's my thing. I think people's on Rocksteady side or, or people in general, I think people's time is better spent on other projects. So I just, I think this, you probably are better moving on unless you do think there is some sort of core that is worth bringing out of this thing. I do think it's problems from the outside looking in are more than just being stretched out. You have all the hood issues that are like, you know, they're how absolutely peppered the oh, screen yeah, is yeah, with yeah. everything. Um, like, it's, you know, the base look at that game, that's quite off-putting. Some of the tonal stuff, some of the way the characters are written, like um, that's one of the strongest aspects of it. But I still think that that is something that makes some people bounce off with a certain sense of humor or whatever. Yeah. Um, there are those aspects where it's like, it's easy now to compare it to Helldivers 2 in regards to what a live service game should be. Um, and that was made with a much smaller team on a, I was going to say a much smaller time frame, but not necessarily because Helldivers 1 was 2015. Um, but still, you have two games where the, um, the previous work was 2015, whether it's Arkham Knight or Helldivers 1, and look how massively different the two of them are. And Helldivers 2 isn't succeeding on having this incredible story. It has a great no. like uh, narrative framework, has really solid and really fun thematics and everything, um, but it is interesting directly comparing the two and being like, Helldivers 2 has a future. Suicide Squad never felt like it did and is quadruply so now when less than 1,000 people are even playing. Helldivers is a really interesting comparison because I think Helldivers works and has appealed to so many people because mm. it's it trusts the player yes. to to get it to mess around with the mechanics to team up in interesting ways mm-hmm. like the co-op is integral to that experience yes. you know you can play a solo but the best moments that i've seen are when people have been helping each other or griefing each other or whatever it mm-hmm. is again with suicide squad the fact that that is a four player multiplayer game is almost meaningless like i like that i could play it solo mm. but like it's so this isn't a word, but it's so casual in terms of what it demands from you. And Mm. that's fine, but it does feel like any interesting mechanic has been sort of really watered down or had the edges completely sanded off. So anyone can pick up and play Mm -hmm. for 10 minutes. So that means that co-op is just like, you're doing the same boring missions, but your pal's there. It doesn't fundamentally change (laughs) anything. You know what I mean? You don't have to gang up in interesting ways. You're just doing the same thing, but... Your mate John or your mate Dave yeah. is doing it with you with the exact same guns, more or less. It's a glorified the exact same people. Yeah, it's like a glorified lobby chat. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like, oh, we might as well. If we're gonna have a catch up, we might as well have a catch up on Suicide Squad. Yeah. And I get there's a way to steer into that and give people these platforms and everything else. But that market is, or that specific energy is, so highly competitive. Like, why not play something else? In this case, Helldivers or Call of Duty or whatever it is. Um, it's just, it felt doomed from the beginning, and now it is very much falling down the stairs. My laptop is trying to die right. Is now. So there's only so many more much time we have left on this podcast. One more quick thing, I just want to point out. Ten percent of Barry, Josh Brown. The I keep saying the biggest thing was Suicide Squad. There's so many big things wrong Mm. with Suicide Squad, but one of my um, uh, one of the biggest bits of incongruity with it is that if you look at it from like a set of gameplay systems, Mm. it feels designed for an audience of anyone. It feels designed to get in kids. It feels designed to get in older gamers like you and I and even older. Mm -hmm. But the actual narrative is adults only. It's a bloody, sweary, edgy game. And the two don't mix because the gameplay is treating you like you're five years old, but the story is treating you like you're 18 plus. (laughs) In those two things... I don't know if that was intentional, if that was always the plan, or if that's like changed over time. But I'm like, you know, this isn't for five year olds, right? Like, yeah. you know, this isn't necessarily something that needs to be this handholdy or repetitive mm-hmm. or kind of so basic on a mechanical level. That's all I've got to say about that. No, man, I think that's perfectly put. I will also wrap this podcast because we went from 10% to, th- to 7%. What the hell? 
I know this laptop does not like this podcast, but we do because it's the wind-up. I'm Scott Taylor. That's Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Taylor. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. Thank you very much for listening to this uber-long podcast. Have a lovely week, and we'll catch you soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.